We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, my name is Steven. I am your host, as always, and joining me today is Alex. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I saw that you you held up for a minute there because you thought they were going to get an interruption, but then you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. yeah. Old <laughs> habits die hard, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, no, I'm doing uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, the college football season is... Uh, Unfortunately, seeming to be withering away, but, uh, yeah. you know, at least Rutgers is the undefeated Big Ten champion, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty decisive. Hey, man, at least Rutgers won't have to have play that gauntlet of a schedule of uh, all the three powers, <laughs> right, back to back to back. Right. So, yeah. obviously, we'll get into that. Obviously, you know, this will be coming out on Tuesday, and hopefully we'll have some more information in, in terms of college football. And also Hard Knocks is tomorrow, so that'll be really exciting, and we'll do our uh, reaction episode to that on Friday. Uh, Today is going to be mostly focused on the Kansas City Chiefs. I did a a fantastic interview with Jordan Mannix. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to get get a chance to listen to that. But Alex, I want to start with this. You had quite an interesting conversation with some Bills fans over the weekend. Uh, (laughs) Want to fill everybody in on, on what went down on Twitter? over the weekend so i i quote tweeted a pff and the pff tweet was some stat like the best runners from inside the opponent's 10 yard line (laughs) or something like that and it had josh allen graded as the highest which i mean isn't super surprising because you know he is a running quarterback uh to some extent he's mobile Right, and he, he does get some of those. I think he had a couple of red zone touchdowns last year, so like it wasn't super surprising. But so I quote tweeted it. I was like, "This is how I uh, quote tweeted." And I said, "This is how deep, uh, deep you have to dig to find really good Josh Allen stats." Yeah, and I guess this account called Bills QB Watch found it, and it's a, it's an account that has like seven thousand followers or something. So it's a sizable account. So it's it's mostly a Bills fan account. I guess it looks out for when people talk about Josh Allen the long <laughs> um, and <laughs> they they replied to me about 
some something about you know oh Josh Allen is so dynamic in short yardage situations and he can throw in like the middle of the field or whatever I didn't really read it <laughs> I didn't make much of it at the time yeah. but it was like oh he was the he's like the seventh most efficient quarterback throwing five yards <laughs> I'm like, okay. all these random stats <laughs> yeah stuff like that and so I I replied not knowing that the you know destruction that would come my way i said call me when uh, he gets a 60 percent completion percentage <laughs> because uh right. you know as you know uh there are only three quarterbacks who don't ha- who didn't have a completion percentage of 60 in 2019 it was Dwayne haskins josh allen and baker mayfield those were the only three Oof. quarterbacks in 2019 who did Yikes. not throw for 60 percent completion so they, I guess, retweeted that one, and they were like, see, this is, I don't know, something about, like, this is what happens when you throw stats at people about Josh Allen, and it's like, okay. <laughs> and so, remember, they have 7,000 followers, so if they quote tweet that, I got, like, <laughs> 25 members of the Bills Mafia just coming <laughs> for my head. It's like, <laughs> and it's like a, a variety of different responses of, like, well, Dan Marino threw 59.4% completion, and <laughs> stuff like that and uh oh what was the other one it's like oh you know i uh i measure in w's not in completion percentage and it's like right i'm like he he has 10 wins last year let's not jump the boat <laughs> or jump the shark yeah. and it's like just a ton of replies about that and it's like you yeah you guys have fun with tyrod taylor it's like yeah actually we will have fun with tyrod taylor so <laughs> um yeah but it got a, it became a whole thing. Um, and anyway, so <laughs> this isn't really about, I mean, in a way, it's about Josh Allen and, and Bill's fans and how they kind of perceive him. But what I kind of took away from it <laughs> in this whole Twitter war with Bill's mafia about Josh Allen is like, we kind of have our own Josh Allen uh, coming up as Chargers fans. And not like I'm saying Herbert's going to be better or worse than Josh Allen. You know, that's to be determined. But you know, we as Chargers fans, if you're in your 20s or early 30s, like you grew up with Philip Rivers your whole life, pretty much uh, as the starter, or at least more than half of your life. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of caused us a little bit in like, I don't know, uh, maybe the late uh, or the early 2010s uh, and stuff like that to kind of have like a blind spot for him, which is like, you know, know, like the 2012 season, for example, was like a really bad river season that some of us defended and, you know, even towards the end and towards his decline, a lot of us still were finding a way to kind of like defend rivers, right? Because, you know, we wanted to, and we have a blind spot for him, but Herbert is now kind of, uh, our Josh Allen in a sense, in the sense that, you know, now that we're all older and we all kind of understand how to analyze quarterbacks a little bit better. He's our new young guy, right? And you know, yeah. um, you know, the Bills fans don't um don't totally analyze Josh Allen with the most critical lens, in my opinion. And I think <laughs> it's important that um if you if you're talking about Tyrod Taylor, if you're talking about Justin Herbert, um, now that we have different starting quarterbacks of the Chargers, I think it's just important to not be uh super biased towards them and just talk about yeah yeah you know this is what they do well this is what they don't do well um and kind of analyze each game and each season um kind of a more critical lens than a homer lens uh and i think that's what happens when you know when you get attached to a quarterback or you know your franchise drafts a quarterback i think people get very like attached to that you know (laughs) you know it's like patriots fans who won't acknowledge that brady was on a decline last year or stuff like that uh, or, you know, Eagles fans who, uh, <laughs> the Foles Wentz debates, uh, <laughs> you know, it's silly that that's even a thing, but yeah. So I think it's just important when you have a new starting quarterback or a franchise quarterback that you really love to look at them critically. And I think that's, uh, that's what the Bills QB watch, uh, Twitter scandal, uh, you know, <laughs> taught me. And also it probably taught me that, you know, a lot of people are going to bully me for my Twitter profile picture and the fact that I look 12. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, we got to get that. We got to get you some headshots, upgrade that profile picture. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I, uh, I was golfing with my wife and her sister on Sunday and I was checking Alex's Twitter and just looking at all the stuff that was going on. And man, they really flooded your, flooded your mentions. <laughs> and, and it was, it was funny to watch the, 
Dan Marino thing. I was like, really? Are we really <laughs> bringing up Dan Marino in a, in a conversation about Josh Allen? But I think that's very well said. I think it, it, it is hard sometimes as fans to have that, you know, uh, all-seen lens and be able to be critical of players. Some are a little too critical and some are a little too positive, uh, but which is totally fine. I don't, I'm not telling anyone how to be a fan. It's just like you mentioned, you know, there needs to be a little bit of, of both worlds. So that being said, let's get into this interview. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Had a really good time talking with this particular guest. And uh, yeah, take a listen. All right, guys. So happy to be joined now by Jordan Mannix, who is a writer and contributor for Arrowhead Addict. Jordan, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to join us. And uh, obviously the topic of today, you know, we're doing our AFC West preview, and that includes the Chiefs, obviously the Super Bowl champs. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Chiefs, as of now, are the favorite again, as they have been for the last few years, unfortunately for Chargers fans. Uh, but I want to start with this. How do the Chiefs, how does the Chiefs world view the rest of the division and who do they think is the main challenger to the Chiefs in 2020 and potentially beyond. Yeah, so um, I, I think there's a couple ways people look at it. I mean, so from the Broncos' perspective, Drew Locke's gotten a ton of you know, positive press um, just because of his performance at the end of last season. And then obviously they, they kind of retooled and added some guys in the draft, um, you know, that should – likely make their offense, you know, a bit more dynamic. Um, I, I think what my personal opinion has always been is that, at least for the last several years, generally the most talented team outside of the Chiefs in the division has been the Chargers. Um, it's just kind of – I think you guys struggled last year in particular just because, you know, Phillip Rivers, you know, great guy, great, great competitor. I just think – he had gotten a little too beaten up and, and he got a little skittish and, you know, he obviously was throwing a lot of picks, but I really think that, you know, Justin Herbert, if he can kind of step in and even produce slightly above what uh, Philip Rivers produced last year. I mean, in my mind, I think you guys have, have the most talent. So I don't know. I, I would say the chiefs world, it, it's probably about 50, 50, um, depending upon, you know, who you talk to, who's more competitive, the Chargers or the Broncos. I don't honestly think anybody's worried about the Raiders. Like, no disrespect <laughs> to them. But, like, I mean, it's – the Raiders, they're just – it's almost like they're like the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC West. Like, they get a ton of press for whatever reason. And I think it's just because, you know, Gruden's such a big personality. And don't get me wrong, I mean, obviously – you know, he's a smart guy, you know, they've got some talent. I just, I don't see them with Derek Carr um, really presenting any kind of challenge to us. So I'd say just to answer your question in a nutshell, it's between the Broncos and, and Chargers. I think a lot's going to depend. Um, you know, I, I'd be curious. I, I know you probably talked about this a little, but what the expectations are for Justin Herbert in his first season. Do you guys think that you know, he's going to end up being the starter. I know they keep saying, you know, Tyron Taylor is going to be the starter, but I actually just from watching Herbert, like, I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, I'm not, please don't misquote me there, but <laughs> I definitely think he has a lot of the physical tools that a guy like Mahomes has, but, you know, he can, he's obviously got a rocket arm, you know, he can throw on the run, which in today's NFL is, you know, kind of, that's like the new, you know, tool in the toolkit, so to speak. Um, so I'd, I'd just be curious to hear what you what you guys think uh, between the two of those guys. Yeah, um, I personally think Tyrod Taylor should start um, the whole season. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm my biggest concern with Justin Herbert coming out. It was his just ability to mentally process the game. You know, I felt like yeah. watching him in Oregon. It was it seemed like if his first read wasn't there he would eat, just like stress out and then make a bad throw or make mm -hmm. a bad decision or, or, you know, take a dumb sack. So for me, the mental aspect has always been my biggest concern with Herbert. You mentioned the physical tools, obviously those are all there. Mm -hmm. um, if there were a full off season, I'd say, yeah, sure. You know, start Justin Herbert. I think that would be fine. You know, the team has the talent to kind of 
support and carry him. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think Anthony Lynn, the head coach, loves Tyron Taylor. Loves Does he? him. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So he was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo for 2005, or he was the running backs oh, coach really? in 15. And then offensive coordinator in sixteen and seventeen. So ah, gotcha. So he's got a he's got a really good relationship with Tyrod, and I think that's you know that's kind of gonna you know, you know just outweigh the the potential of Justin Herbert. So gotcha. I lo- and I also love the Raiders hate man. You know we're always here for some Raiders. For some Raiders hate it's <laughs> fantastic. I just I don't know what their direction is as a team because like, you, you look up and down their draft and it's like okay you take a big swing on Henry Ruggs. And then you take a swing on Damon Arnett, who's just like a scrappy corner. Right. It's the same thing with last draft. Like you take Cleveland Farrell, who's just like a scrappy, oh, low yeah. ceiling, high floor guy. And then you take a massive swing on Josh Jacobs. It's like, mm-hmm. are you going for athleticism? Are you going for character? Right. Like, what are you right. doing here? Yeah, it's not to, you know, not to talk too much about the Raiders, but it's like they kind of remind me of like the Chiefs from like, I think it was 2007 to through 2012, where it's like, I mean, you've got a quarterback you're not really sure about. You're kind of just taking bits and pieces from around the league, trying to put a roster together. And you might have some flashes where you're like, oh, you know, maybe they could be a good team. But then, because it was like last year, I think they, they had like a little stretch in the middle of the season where, you know, they started to play a little bit better and then they just completely fell apart. So I got blown up. What's they, got blown, they got blown out by the Jets, man. Yeah. The Jets beat yeah, them by like 30. I mean, <laughs> once that happens, that's that's tough to that's tough to live down, man. Especially yeah. right now. Especially right now. I don't know. It's I um like the Chargers are relatively speaking, they'll be in every single game. You know, every once in a while they'll get blown out. Like the Vikings game was was a disaster, but Every other game, they're always competitive. It's just whether or not they can finish the job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's or, kind of or a, if Philip Rivers throws a pick at the end of the game to kind yes. of seal it. So, unfortunately, yeah. that has been the reality most of my life as a Chargers <laughs> fan. Um, but let's get back to the Chiefs. You know, obviously, the big talk of the town is Patrick Mahomes and his ten-year yeah. deal. Um, you know, we'll get into like the breaking down of the thing. But what is what was your reaction when you saw not just the extension, but that it was a ten year extension? Yeah, you know, I had kind of like two reactions. Honestly, um, the first was just like, wow, like obviously this is you know a landmark deal. It's you know a ten year extension. You know, twelve years in total because you know basically you still have two years left on on his rookie deal, um, you know, 500 million, you know, so half a billion dollars. So I had that reaction, right? Like everybody did where it was just like, Oh my gosh, like this is like one of the most insane sports deals I've ever seen. Um, and then the second reaction was, I mean, outside of him getting hurt, I, I honestly think that it was the right way to go because it's like, I mean, you know, you might feel this way. I mean, you guys have Philip Rivers, like, in his prime for a long time. So, I mean, he, he's obviously, you know, other than the last year or so, I, I mean, the guy was obviously a great quarterback. Um, yeah. The Chiefs, we haven't had, you know, I, I wrote an article last year about, um, you know, the greatest, greatest quarterback seasons each decade for the Chiefs. And I found an interesting stat. So, starting in 1965, the Chiefs only selected – three quarterbacks in the first round in the next 52 seasons. So until they got to Mahomes oh, wow. and none of those guys uh, panned out um, other than Mahomes, of course. And so it's like, he's really the first franchise quarterback that, I mean, Len Dawson was quote unquote a franchise quarterback, but he actually was drafted um, by another team. And so, you know, this is the first homegrown guy the franchise has really ever had. And so to me, it's like, you know, it kind of takes out that complexity of in three to four years, they got to start working on his contract again, because it's like, you know, it's obviously until I think 2031 is the, is the end of it. Um, and so they can just focus on everybody else. So I actually, you know, it's unique. Um, it's definitely a little riskier from the standpoint of, you know, you know, who's to know if he, he gets hurt or, you know, throws out his shoulder or something like that. But 
Um, I just think all around, you know, he's a unique player, and so it doesn't surprise me that he got, you know, a unique contract. Yeah, after, you know, obviously there was like that initial shock, and then I really sat down and I was like, because no one expected Mahomes to not be there for the next 10 years, but yeah. it was just like, he got a 10-year contract. I'm going to be 37 <laughs> by the time that contract is up. Like, it was just yeah. like, just this initial shock. Um, yeah. Well, the, and, and just one thing real quick. It's funny because when I was like, when I was just reading about it, and I was kind of curious who else had gotten, you know, 10-year contracts. And I think there were six total um, outside of Mahomes in the history of the NFL. It was just funny because one of them was Drew Bledsoe. Yeah. Uh, the year he went down. Yeah. So it was just, you know, definitely definitely kind of an interesting uh, situation for sure. Yeah. But, you know, let's get into breaking this down because uh-huh. I think right now from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, my gosh, they're paying $500 million to Patrick Mahomes. But right. the yearly breakdown is pretty friendly for the Chiefs. And, of course, the cap is going to go up probably each year obviously next year is going to go down because of covid but after that you know the cap is just going to go up and up and up so you know i think a lot of chargers fans were kind of overreacting about the possibility Mm -hmm. of how much cap patrick mahomes was taking up um yeah can you kind of speak on just how the team will be able to build yeah you know around him with this contract right yeah so um I mean, obviously, that that's the big thing, right? Because I think uh, the the stat that's floating around is the highest uh, cap percentage hit of a quarterback was Steve Young to win a Super Bowl at like thirteen point one percent, I think. Um, and so that, that's obviously, you know, that was kind of one of my initial thoughts too. Biggest thing is you got to pay the guy, right? I mean, like, right. obviously, he's a super talented player. Um, I kind of did some math, so. I assumed, because just kind of reading up a little bit, I assumed that the cap wouldn't go below 175. So I kind of did, throughout Mahomes' entire contract, what percentage he would kind of take up of the cap um, at a you know historical growth rate of about, I think it was 7.3%, something like that. Um, so basically, starting um, in 2022, um, his cap – percentage does start to creep up into the 13, 14, and 15s. Right. Um, but really what what kind of the biggest factor here going forward is just going to be focusing on, you know, not having big misses in the first three rounds of the draft. I mean, because, you know, you that's where you get your cheapest talent, right? And then making sure you're, you're getting guys off the waiver wire that can actually contribute. And so – even though I do think, yes, he is going to take up a significant percentage of the cap, I really believe that Beach is kind of suited for that. Because, I mean, we had uh, our GM before, he really struggled to kind of, you know, maintain cap consistency. And we just really haven't seen that from Beach. He's done really creative things. I mean, obviously, he, you know, did the 10-year contract, and there's kind of some creativity there. And so – what I what I expect to happen is that they're going to be able to balance this pretty well. Um, but yeah, you you can't afford to have huge misses in the draft. It does kind of take away some of your you know uh, safety net a little bit. But again, it's like you know if Justin Herbert develops into a great player, you know he's probably going to get thirty five forty million dollars a year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and that, to be honest, is what you want, right? Like, you want a guy who's going to come in there and crush it. Like, I don't, you know, like, I I think Dak Prescott is better than some people give him credit for, but, like, he's the type of guy who's, like, borderline, you know, good to great quarterback, and yet they're still probably going to end up having to pay him 35 to $40 So it's like, I think part of the reason that you haven't seen, um, you know, a lot of quarterbacks win Super Bowls, uh, over that kind of 13% mark is more just because a, you know, Brady was, you know, kind of under market value for so long. And that was just such a unique situation. Yeah. And B like the major quarterback money is, is really just in the last like three to five years. I mean, you just weren't, you weren't seeing guys get, you know, I mean, Joe Flacco got 20 million, you know, five, six years ago. And that was like, Whoa, you know, yeah. like that was the biggest, you know, contract we had seen in a long time. So 
I, I think that as time goes on and you're right, as the cap continues to grow, um, you know, you just have to have a really creative GM. I think I, my personal opinion is that, you know, Brett Beach is kind of up for that task. So. I agree, man. I, you know, from the outside looking in, I, I think Brett Veach is doing a, a fantastic job. And like you mentioned, the draft is just going to be crucial. And mm-hmm. obviously outside of Mahomes, you know, on offense, they have – the Chiefs have three marquee players. You have Mitchell Schwartz, Travis Kelsey, and, and Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of talked about this on our podcast the other day. If you had – like, I assume that Veach is going to do everything he can to retain all three of those guys once yeah. the contract is up. But if you had to pick just two of them as a fan, like if you pick the offensive tackle and the tight end, you pick the offensive yeah, tackle. Yeah, man. That, that's I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. but Yeah. Um, honestly, so just from like my, my point of view, you always – to have a great offense, I think in, in this day and age, you've got to have a great tight end. I, I really think that – you know, if you don't have kind of a guy who can, you know, be a great receiver and at least hold himself up blocking, I mean, you know, that's kind of the the discussion between, you know, George or Greg Kittle and and uh, Travis Kelsey is, you know, Kelsey's probably a better receiver. Kittle's probably a, a better blocker. But so I, I would say you got to keep Kelsey, right? And then, I don't know, man, I, I hate to say I would probably pick Kelsey and, and uh, Schwartz, but I think that's who I have to go with just because to me, it's almost like a, a lower risk proposition. Um, right. And you know, you're still going to get a lot of production out of, out of Kelsey. Um, but man, you'd miss, you'd miss Hill. I mean, he, honestly, he's one of the most dynamic players I think in the NFL, just because, I mean, he is so fast. Like you, you just see him run and you're like, even these great that's athletes on the field. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of jarring a little bit sometimes when you see him run compared to these other guys. But, uh, but yeah, so I'd probably go that direction, but no disrespect to Tyreek Hill because, man, he is he's a stud for sure. Yeah, I remember, you know, obviously the Chiefs and Chargers opened up the season for Mahomes' first mm-hmm. year. And I remember thinking, like, okay, like, this is nice, you know, because Alex Smith was just, like, dink and dunk. And, yeah. and you know, he yeah. was a slice-and-dice quarterback and – um, you know, I think the offense is totally different with Mahomes, but I was like, oh, rookie quarterback, the Chargers will be fine. And then, like, the third play of the game, Mahomes throws a slant to Tyreek Hill, and it's, like, yeah. 80 yards <laughs> to the house. And I'm like, okay, well, I know this is going to be yeah. tough. Yeah. No, he <laughs> – I mean, like I said, man, that that's a tough decision because, I mean, really all those guys are, are pretty integral to the offense. Right. So. I, think I, I think I'm with you. I think I would do the same thing. So – uh, the other thing, obviously, that the Chiefs have been doing, you know, with Chris Jones, <laughs> the process about Chris Jones was was interesting from the outside looking in because there was, like, no progress for months. For sure. And then it was, like, the Mahomes deal got done and then the Chris Jones deal got done. <laughs> what did you make of that deal? Do you think that they overpaid for him? And why do you think he yeah. was so important to get this deal done with Chris Jones? Yeah, Um I so I love Chris Jones. I'll, I'll just say that right off the bat. Like I, I just think he he brings so much energy and fire, and and you can just tell in kind of you know his interviews and the way he deals with his teammates. Like he's a great teammate. I do. I am curious to see kind of how that contract in particular could hamstring us a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily think we overpay because. Honestly, so I, I did I did just a little research to provide, you know, kind of some unique uh, – hold on, I'm sorry, I got something on my screen uh, – some unique uh, insight into kind of what he brings. And so if you look, uh, ESPN did kind of a, an evaluation of defensive tackles, and he was actually tied for the highest percentage of double teams. Um and actually, it was double teamed more than Aaron Donald through 14 weeks last year, which is really surprising, by the way. Yeah. Um, and he was he was third um, in percentage of getting to the quarterback uh, before two and a half seconds. And so, and the only guys he was behind was Aaron Donald and Grady Jarrett. And so, from that standpoint, I mean, he he really is one of the best pass rushing interior players. 
Um, and I think in today's day and age where you've got, you know, a little bit more mobile quarterbacks, I don't think you can just rely on outside pass rush. I think interior right. pass rush is becoming more and more valuable. So I think those were all elements that you look at Chris Jones, he's a guy we drafted. He's a guy the team loves. You want to keep him around. If you pay him a little bit more than maybe you feel like you can, it's still worth it because of, you know, just all the things that he brings to the team. But, I mean, now we've got, you know, I think his total was somewhere in the 80s um, in terms of millions. And Frank Clark's, it, it was just shy of, you know, 100 million. So you've got a lot tied up in the defensive line. So really it's going to come down to is he going to stay healthy? If he stays healthy, it doesn't concern me one bit. But if it's, you know, we get into a situation where one of those guys is, you know, out for an extended period of time, it could be a challenge. Um, right. But, again, I, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, they always say you want to draft and, and pay the players that you bring in. Like, you just – you don't want to draft a guy, have him turn into a superstar, and then let him walk out the door. You know, that's Absolutely. not typically yeah. – you know, a recipe for success. So I think, I, I really think the reason the deal didn't have any progress was because they were working so hard on getting Mahomes kind of wrapped up and get that out of the way. And then once that was done, they, I mean, they, it was like two days later, you know, three or four days later that they were able to wrap up the Jones contract. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting, uh, interesting little situation, but I, I think most people are happy with how it turned out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Chargers interior offensive line has been kind of a struggle. And so going up against Chris Jones has always been uh, very daunting. Um, you know, the Chiefs did have a few I, players. I actually had a quick question. I, I was curious, you know, on the Chris Jones item, what do you guys think of the Bosa contract? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, most Chargers fans are ecstatic about it, man. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think – I personally never thought – I never had a doubt that uh, he was going to stay. But because he held out uh -huh. as a rookie, everyone was always just mm -hmm. kind of stressed out about the possibility of Bosa leaving elsewhere. But everything that right. he had ever said since he signed his rookie draft pick is that he wanted to stay with the Chargers. He wanted to stay in L.A. Um, so mm -hmm. I personally never had a doubt about it. The price is – a little daunting, but at the same time, it's like every Chargers fans thinks that Bosa is like a top five, top six edge rusher. Oh, yeah, he's a stud. So at the same time, it's like, well, you have the same thing as Mahomes. You have to keep a guy that you drafted, you developed, and now he's a stud. And, you know, you have Mahomes for the next 10 years, so you need to have good pass rushers. And if Drew Locke pans out, then you have two really good quarterbacks and two really good right. offenses you have to worry about. So, you know, if you get a top tier pass rusher, you got to keep him around. And so I was so happy about it. And then, you know, Joey's been very, you know, candid and emotional about the contract mm -hmm. extension. And it's just been, been cool to see. And, and I'm happy about having him around long term for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a good problem to have when you draft guys yes. and turn out to be, you know, superstars. So, yes. And I'm with you, man. If you draft and develop these guys, you got to keep them around. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I hate it, the, like, the possibility of, like, you draft a guy, he turns into a really good player, and then he just leaves. Oh, for right. sure. For so sure. throw as much money as you have to at them to keep him around. Um, so obviously the coronavirus is, is creating quite a challenge for teams, and the Chiefs have had a couple uh, players opt out. Yeah. Two of them offensive linemen, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and mm -hmm. Lucas Niang, and then Damian Williams as well. But specifically about the offensive line, is is Duvernay Tardif that big of a loss? Obviously, they signed Kalecki Osamele. I think I'm saying that uh -huh. right. Um, how do you think the Chiefs' offensive line looks in 2020? Yeah, so I mean, it definitely, you know, you got to respect the guy's decision, and I would argue right. that it's a it's a blow for sure from the standpoint of he's been in Andy Reid's system. I think this would have been his seventh season. Um, so he's one of those guys like, you know, you don't, you know what you're going to get every single game. Um, there's really no surprises. The biggest thing for me though, with, with LDT, unfortunately, over the last couple seasons and he's dealt with some injuries. So that, that's a big part of it, but he's actually dropped off pretty significantly. And so, okay. 
you know, I was just looking it up, you know, before this, before, you know, you and I had a chance to chat. Um, and he actually, you know, graded the worst out of all of our starting offensive linemen last season, according to Pro Football Focus. And I know a lot of people, you know, take PFF's grades with a grain of salt. And I, you know, I understand why. But I think it's at least a good metric to kind of compare guys in, you know, similar position groups and kind of see, you know, what they've been doing. And so I, I definitely think it's a blow. I think signing um, Kalecki Osamelli, um, and again, I think I'm pronouncing that right too. <laughs> but uh, but he, he's actually a two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. Um, I think he kind of fell off the map. From what I understand, so he got traded to the Jets, and then he tore his labrum. Um, and there was kind of some weird stuff that went on there. I think the Jets wanted him to, you know, kind of play through injury, but he wanted to go ahead and have the surgery. And so he actually ended up just doing the surgery without the team's consent, which I, I definitely understand in those right. So Absolutely. I, I think he's got – tons of talent um and Andy Reid's you know an offensive line guy I mean I, I really do think that it might actually be an improvement over LDT just at least his last couple seasons um but it'll be interesting to see I mean the Chiefs last year especially had tons of injuries along the offensive line um and they were able to weather the storm so I, I'm not super worried about it um, but we'll see, man. I mean, you know, especially with Yang opting out, I mean, that's just – that's more of a depth thing. Um, but you definitely don't want to see two of your offensive line in right. the same offseason, you know, go down because then you obviously got to make some contingencies. But um, it is nice that, you know, Mahomes is, is mobile. Um, so I think I, – I don't think it's going to affect us a ton, at least since we signed Collective Smalley. Absolutely agree, 100%. So obviously the, the other opt out was Damian Williams. Yeah. Uh, I personally am terrified of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the Chiefs offense because I loved him coming out of LSU, and I yeah. think he, you know, there's been the Ryan Westbrook comparison, and that as yeah. a Chargers fan is uh, not fun to think about. <laughs> um, what are the expectations for Edwards-Hilaire this year in yeah. the Chiefs offense? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the Brian Westbrook comparison is completely spot on. I even looked up, I mean, just after watching a little bit of some highlights of Westbrook and some highlights of Hilaire, I even looked up their combines are almost identical. I mean, from a speed standpoint, from a size standpoint. Um, so I, I do think you're going to see, um, obviously now that Williams is gone, you're going to see probably two-thirds of the touches go to Hilaire. Um, I just think the biggest thing that Hilaire possesses that we haven't had really since Hunt is kind of that wiggle. You know, it's not so much the yeah. like, it's not so much like the power or, or the top end speed or anything like that. It's just, you watch his highlights and the guy's cuts are just insane. And he's able to get, you know, two, three, four extra yards just because he you know, shakes a defender. And so right. I think what you saw from Damian Williams in the playoffs, I think is ultimately what the team wants to do at the running back position. I actually think that Hunt was a, a sort of, um, you know, step away from what Andy Reid typically likes to do with backs. I mean, everybody knows Andy Reid wants to throw the ball. So I don't, I don't think he wants a running back who's going to carry the ball you know, 25 times a game. He'd rather right. have a guy like Hilaire that's going to, you know, maybe get four or five catches and get, you know, 13, 14 carries a game. And so that's kind of what I expect. And I, my, my disappointment, in, and again, you got to respect the guy's decision to opt out. I was expecting like, you know, because I think Williams is maybe a little bit less talented than Hilaire, but they have a similar play style in that, they're not necessarily going to like bully over or bruise you in the, in the run game, but they're a great receiver. Um, and so I was kind of hoping we'd have, you know, a one, two punch of guys who really were good at that. And now I think we're going to be, if we can maintain the level that Williams kind of had in the playoffs, I'll be really happy, but it'll be interesting to see. Cause I mean, rookies, you just never know. And, and honestly, the biggest thing for a rookie running back in the chiefs offense is actually probably going to be protecting Mahomes. True. And so that that's the big thing I'm curious to see is, is he able to pass protect consistently? Because if he can do that, I mean, they'll leave him out there the whole time. And I think he's just got tons of 
talent. So yeah. I expect a lot, but I think the pass pro is going to tell us, you know, kind of the story early on in the season. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, Andy Reid has always been known for being a running back friendly offense. And so having a talent like this is, is kind of daunting from a charter's perspective, but we'll see how that goes. So the last question I want to ask you, you know, the chiefs, the last two years have been on a tear. They were potentially one off sides from going to the super bowl. And then last year they oh, obviously yeah. won the super bowl. So really they should have two super bowl appearances in the last two years. Are they going to get another one this year? What is the ultimate expectation for the Chiefs yeah. in 2020? Yeah, I mean, so I so here's the thing. As a fan, I'm I'm super optimistic. I mean, I, I think they've got every chance to repeat. I think this year, not just because of the pandemic, but but just because of the fact that now there's going to be seven teams in the playoffs, only one team is going to get a first round bye. That yeah. definitely puts a a. a an extra challenge kind of in their path because, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how like much you guys talk about it, but generally speaking for the last decade or so, most of the Super Bowl, I think every Super Bowl winner except one, I think it might've been the Packers didn't have a buy when they won their uh, Super Bowl. Um, but every single other Super Bowl champion had a buy in the first round. Um, and so I think the buy is really important. And, and part of the reason I think that that's going to be a challenge this year in particular, because you guys have a ton of talent. I think the Broncos have a ton of talent. Um, and I, I'm curious to see, you know, I, I think the Chiefs are still likely going to win the AFC West. But if you go four and two, you know, that might be, it might be a challenge to go four and two and, and still get the one seed. And so, I'm not saying they couldn't win with a two seed, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if Baltimore gets the one seed, you know, they're going to have obviously an increased chance. If the Chiefs get the one seed, if the Chiefs get the one seed, I, I would put a lot of money on them winning the Super Bowl. But it, it, to me, it's really going to come down to that. And I just think that this is kind of a unique year, um, you know, pandemic and, and all the other things included. So we'll just have to see. I'm op- I'm always optimistic, though. So, you know, you ask me, like, every year I think we're going 12 and 4, 13 and 3. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, there's there's Chiefs fans that, you know, always think we're going 8 and 8 or whatever, you know. So it's like you're asking an optimistic guy. So, but we'll just have to see for sure. What, what about you guys? What's kind of your expectations for this season? You know, for me, I feel like the best case scenario is like 10 and six mm-hmm. and a wild card berth and maybe a playoff win. You know, I, I don't expect the Chargers to like win the division. If they do, great. I'll be happy. <laughs> um, I just don't expect it to happen. I think ultimately it's going to be like an eight and eight, mm-hmm. maybe nine and seven season. The schedule is favorable, but I just think, you know, they're in a transition year. They are, they are going to attempt a full-on scheme change on offense in an offseason where there has been no offseason. So mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. I think they have the talent on defense to kind of carry them and kind mm-hmm. of work through while the offense works through things. Um, but I agree with you. I think the division is tough. And if you can get to 11 wins, if you're the Chiefs, you're probably sitting pretty in terms of the division. Yeah. You know, very similar to uh, 2018 when you had the Broncos were pretty good, the Chargers were really mm-hmm. good. And so if you can get 11 wins, you probably feel pretty good about mm-hmm. the Chiefs season. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so this has been really fun, Jordan. I, you know, I really appreciate your taking the time to join us. And, uh, you know, I hope the Chiefs have a good season, not a great season, but I hope they have a good <laughs> season for your sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. You guys too. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. So that was my conversation with Jordan Mannix. I will say uh, me and you and Jason had conversations about the whole Patrick Mahomes uh, extension. And while from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, well, they signed into 10 years. You know, it's this massive contract. It really is very workable for the Chiefs, and ultimately the cap is going to go uh, continue to go up, I would assume, outside of next year. You know, but once fans are able to get back into the stands, the cap is going to continue to go up and up and up. And so the Chiefs, I think, 
are going to be just fine in terms of the cap. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add about the whole Patrick Mahomes extension conversation? Not really. I mean, I think it's pretty much the same stuff that I was saying before and that I think it's a very good deal for the Chiefs and any time that you have a chance to sign the best quarterback in the league, you, re, you know, you re-up on the best quarterback in the league. Um, and there will be difficult things to work out later. Uh, later you know, uh, we talked about when we, when we were talking about Patrick Mahomes, we talked about, oh, maybe Chris Jones will one, be one of the kind of sacrificial lambs, right? Maybe they won't be able to resign right. him. No, they got Chris Jones for four right. more years. So, you know, and I guess Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, some of the guys on defense will probably be the next guys that they look at in terms of free agency and like, all right, can we resign this guy? Can they not? Um, and, you know, that will, you know, that will always come into play and there will always be guys that you might not be able to, you know, re-up on. But I still think the Mahomes contract is worth it. And as we talked about with quarterback contracts, you know, Mahomes value seems like a lot because it's, you know, 500, uh, you know, up to 500 million over 10 years, uh, 450 guaranteed over 10. So he's getting basically 45 million AAV every year, um, average, average annual value. So, you know, Honestly, by the time that, like, I don't know, by the time that Justin Fields is getting paid, yeah. uh, <laughs> the $45 million is honestly going to look like nothing. Um, yes, for so, sure. So, yeah, I, yeah that's, that's just it for me. Is like, and also, when you have a great coach like Andy Reid, who recently said, you know, he wants the now coach into his 70s, uh, that's a really like important thing uh, to have him there. He's one of the best co coaches in the league, one of the best talent evaluators, and he seems to find uh, a steal every draft. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, he found Tyreek Hill, he found Travis Kelsey um, in this draft. He, he Juan, uh, Juan Thornhill was another great find, um, you know, and in this draft he found client Edwards, a layer, which, you know, was a first round pick, but, I still think that's a great one, especially considering that Damian Williams opted out. So right. I would just say that um, I think that it's fine. Uh, the Patrick Mahomes contract is fine and it's going to work out for the Chiefs. And it's even better when you have uh, a guy like Andy Reid running the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that, you know, we touched on with Jordan Mannix is the draft for the Chiefs is going to be the best way to uh, continue to you know prop up this roster around Patrick Mahomes because it's the cheapest and easiest way to get an influx of talent. So um, we also t we also touched on the whole Duvernay Tardif thing op opting out. He he's thought that Kalecki uh, Osamele was actually an upgrade for the Chiefs, which I thought was really interesting. I, from the outside perspective, I feel like those two are about the same level of player. Um, in terms of other additions, they didn't really have anyone. You mentioned Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That really is the most important and impactful addition, I think. Um, departures, however, I think the big one is Kendall Fuller, and they didn't really replace Kendall Fuller through the draft or through free agency either. Um, and then they lost Emmanuel Ogba as well, and, and then Stefan Wisniewski, I think that's how you say that. Yeah, and then Juan Thornhill's health is obviously something to monitor. Um, but for the most part, the Chiefs return most of their team. Um, how do you think that continuity is going to be able to kind of carry the Chiefs into 2020? Uh, I think it's going to be mostly the same. When we talk about like Duvernay, Tardif, and Osamele, I, I agree that I think they're kind of the same. The right. thing with Osamele is that he was hurt last year. So the argument is like, oh, you know, if he if he's healthy and he can play a full 16 games, uh, I think that that's fine. And I think it's possible he could increase his play. I think it's been going down the last couple of years, not just last year. But, you know, if he's fully healthy and he can go, um, then I think that he could be as good or better than Duvernay Tardif. The thing with him is, yeah, it's just been the injuries kind of decline. And the, t the challenge for him is that he was signed so late in the game now, right? You know, he's a little bit behind in terms of, like, the team and all that. Yeah. Um, but, hope you know, training camp will give him some chance to catch up on everything. But, you know, he's ultimately going to be going a little bit in the dark. Uh, you know, uh, they'll try to catch him up as much as they can, but there's only so much they can do to some extent. But, right. yeah, I think everything else on the roster is – pretty consistent um 
you know, if they're bringing back the same uh, defensive line, uh, mostly the same linebacking core, uh, they got Breland back, which I thought was uh, a really great addition. And they got him on the cheap, uh, not addition, but return from last year. They got him on the cheap too. So I honestly don't think they're going to miss Kendall Fuller that much. And Tyron Matthew is still there. Um, Sorensen is still there at free safety. Uh, Traverius Ward, who we talked about, I love him at left corner. Uh, and of course, we have Jason's guy, uh, Thwan, uh, Thwan Hornhill. Uh, Juan Thornhill, uh, I think, is still um, one of Andy Reid's best finds. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, they're basically kind of running it back with this roster, and they're probably going to be running it back for at least the next two years, and then we'll see what happens yeah. after that. Yeah, really after 2021 is when they'll have to get a little creative in certain areas, but for the most part, you know, their their core should be intact. Um, I want to talk about their schedule for a second. Um, I'll just go over it for everybody, and then we'll kind of give the highlights of what we think. Uh, so mm-hmm. obviously they open with Houston Thursday night game. They're the first game. And then it's at the Chargers, obviously at the Ravens, home against the Patriots, home against the Raiders. At Buffalo, at Denver, home against the Jets, home against the Panthers. Then they have a week 10 bye, and then week 11 at Raiders, week 12 at Buccaneers, 13 versus the Broncos at home, at Dolphins, at Saints. And then they finish with two home games against the Falcons and the Chargers. Um, really, the first, the first four games for them is kind of tough. Obviously, you know, they're defending champs, but I think, you know, they'll maybe lose one of those games. Um, any other standout stretches of the schedule for the Chiefs? Um, yeah, I think it's that opening stretch, really. It's it's the Chargers, Texans, Patri- uh, Patriots, Ravens. That's a, that's a difficult stretch, but I think that they can get through it. Um, and, yeah, they've, they've shown that they're capable of it. So the Texans... Uh, well, they got to play the Texans and the Ravens, right? Because those are the real differences with the Chargers schedule because they're playing the first place teams. Um, so yeah, that's that's really the big difference with the Chargers schedule. Everything else is pretty much the same, uh, and it's not that different of an order either. Um, I guess the end of this stretch is kind of tough because they got the Broncos week 13, then Saints 15, Falcons 16, Chargers 17. So I could see that being a little bit difficult. Um, but I think they are massively aided by the fact that the last two games are at home. Um, yeah, and potentially, you know, if everything goes right in the world, maybe they'll have fans in those last two games, which we'll right. see. I don't know. but Possible. But, yeah, yeah, ultimately I think the Chiefs, they're set up nicely. You know, the middle of the schedule is really nice. Obviously they have Jets, Panthers, and they have a bye, then they have the Raiders. So, yeah, I think – their schedule works out fine outside of the first four games and the last three, you know, I, I think that the Chiefs' schedule is very manageable. Um, what do you think is like the best case scenario for the chiefs and the worst case scenario for the chiefs? Best case scenario. In terms of record, obviously the I think playoffs it's, are I, a different thing, but yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's a little bit of a difficult schedule because you have, let's see. So starting in terms of what I think are possible losses, you have the Texans, Chargers, Ravens, Patriots, Bills are a possible loss. Um, maybe they lose once to the Broncos. Bucks are always possible. And then like Saints. So they have like, I think seven games that are like, you know, possible losses. Realistically out of that, I think they only lose three or four. So to me, yeah the best case scenario would be like, I don't know, 14 and two. And the worst case scenario would be like, I don't know, 10 and six. Like that's, that's the worst case scenario. I think um, as that's assuming like Mahomes stays healthy and all that. And right. Um, he doesn't have like a knee injury again or something, but assuming everything, everyone is not, well, you can't assume everyone's healthy, but assuming the main pieces of their uh, are healthy, then I think that they can, you know, go through all 17 weeks best case 14 wins worst case about 10 yeah i would agree with that as well i think you know you mentioned the seven games you know you have 50 50 games and then maybe they drop one that they shouldn't you know maybe they lose to the dolphins or or 
I can't imagine the Jets winning, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe Christian McCaffrey just like goes bananas. And you never know. I would give them probably like the best case scenario again, fourteen and two. But I feel like eleven and five is probably the the worst case scenario for them. You know, I think the Chiefs are will probably end up in the middle at something like thirteen and three. Um, but yeah, I think the Chiefs are set up nice this year, unfortunately, and obviously for the future as well. Um, any other thoughts about the Chiefs and just you know how you view them overall? Um, no, not much else. I mean, as I said, I think they're set up for the future, uh, and they have a pretty young team as well. And obviously, I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, with the opt-out of Damian Williams, uh, he's the guy to watch um, in terms of the offense this year because he's the new piece there. And uh, I'm very curious to see what Willie Gay does on, on defense. Yeah. I think that he's going to be uh, a big presence for them at linebacker because their linebacker core is a little, uh, you know, Anthony Hitchens yeah. isn't the best. Um, and Damian, you know, Damian Wilson's all right. But I think, um, yeah, I think Gay is going to be a huge piece to their future. So, you know, they are probably going to want uh, to get him uh, a lot of run this year and see if he can surpass guys like Hitchens and uh, Wilson on the roster as well. Or, sorry, on the depth chart. Yeah, the linebacker, I feel like, is definitely their weakest spot on the roster. You know, I think Anthony Hitchens is okay. But, like, if you put Anthony Hitchens on the Chargers, like, I don't think he would be a starting linebacker for the Chargers. Um, so that's just interesting. I think Willie Gay will be, they'll bring him along slowly because he didn't have hardly any reps in college and now he doesn't have an off season. So I think Willie Gay will eventually get there. I think he's more of like a 2021 type of starter, Mm -hmm. which still, I think, you know, if Willie Gay can become, you know, a, a high quality starting linebacker, that makes a huge difference for the chiefs because then they would have, you know, high quality player at each level. So of their defense. So I think Willie Gay is is probably more important than Clyde Edwards Hilaire because Andy Reid can turn any kind of running back into a productive running back. We've seen that throughout his history. But the Chiefs are short on playmakers on defense outside of Tyron Matthew. They don't really have anyone that is gonna come in and, and cause some turnovers, wreak some havoc. And so if Willie Gay can become that type of linebacker, I think that'll be huge for the Chiefs. So that's pretty much everything that I have about the Chiefs. Uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, they're in a really good spot for the Chargers. I think if the Chargers can split the season series with them, much like they did in 2018, I'll be happy. Um, I would not be shocked if the Chiefs won both of those games, especially week 17. You know, week two, maybe. But then again, the Chiefs have 10 days to prepare for that game. Uh, which game against the Chiefs do you think the Chargers have a better chance of winning? Definitely that week two game, uh, just because, right, it's, well, I guess the at-home, at-road thing doesn't totally matter, but, you know, the Chiefs game will be, uh, the Chiefs game at Arrowhead will be in December, you know, cold conditions, right, even with no fans, I still think that's a tough one. Right. Um, And, you know, with week one, really week one through four uh, these teams are going to be figuring each other out because there's no preseason. So there's a little bit more chaos. um, And I think uh, uncertainty with those games. So I think it's pretty reasonable to say that that uh, week two game is definitely a better chance for the chargers to pull an upset, um, especially because it's in LA uh, pretty warm conditions, uh, a lot of uncertainty and chaos because these teams don't uh, won't be familiar with each other quite yet, or at least these versions of these teams. So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, and also the Chargers have, you know, a new starting quarterback, right? So that's something else for the Chiefs to prepare for. Um, you know, right. they're not playing Philip Rivers anymore. Uh, and if they were, I think they'd be very happy that they were playing Philip Rivers, uh, especially after some of the games last year. So, you know, they, yeah. the Chargers are kind of a new, uh, a new team in a lot of ways. So if it's going, if there is an upset against the Chiefs that's going to happen, like 2018, I think it would actually be uh, earlier in the season as opposed to later in the year. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, there also is the possibility that maybe Justin Herbert is starting in Week 17. And so maybe the team's in a little bit of a, a downtrodden state, which, you know, unfortunately is, is a possible outcome this year. So, you know, I think – there is a lot to be excited about in terms of the Chargers' future, but I think for now the Chiefs are definitely the favorite of the division. 
Um, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? Uh, no, I, I guess that's about it for today. Um, yeah, as we've been saying with the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs are unfortunately uh, a lock to win the division. And uh, yeah, I guess we're I guess we're excited over here for Hard Knocks tomorrow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. well, by the time this podcast, well, actually no, this podcast is coming out tomorrow. So yeah, the, tomorrow will be Hard Knocks Day, uh, and then we'll have a pod about it on uh, Friday. So yeah, uh, tune in for Hard Knocks, and I guess we'll see what happens. And hopefully, the Rams aren't eighty percent of the show or something. <laughs> yeah, as long as the Charter, if there is at least a fifty-fifty split, I'll be okay. If it's right. any, if it's any kind of leaning towards the Rams, I think it is going to be an upsetting day for me <laughs> because the stupid Rams—they were in the, they were on the show like three years ago, and it was yeah. the worst season of Hard Knocks ever. So you know, they had their time. So I'm excited about it, and I think the the Chargers are doing something really cool with the you know after party thing with Matt Money Smith on Wednesday. So uh, going to be a good week for Chargers fans and for some some high quality content. Uh, as Alex mentioned, we will be releasing our reaction to the Hard Knocks episode on Friday. So stay tuned for that. And make sure to follow us on social media, as always, at Alex Lansdorf, at Stephen I. Haglin, and at GC Podcast 17. That'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.